Your life can never be the light the Lord Jesus wants it to be until your root sinks deep in the Word of God and deep in the person of the Lord Jesus. And when that root is anchored so securely in the life of Jesus, then good fruit will grow on your branches. Today's message from Harvest Church of God titled, Rooted in Jesus, means accomplishing for God. Pastor Jerry Irwin speaks about being rooted and built up in Jesus and asks what is the condition of your roots. Thank you, God, for another opportunity this side of eternity to stand in this pulpit and declare your word. Thank you, O Lord, for what you have revealed to me in study, and I ask you to give me, O God, a touch of your anointing and enablement that I could deliver to this people what you delivered to me. Touch my lips, O God, and anoint my mind, and help me this morning to recollect and remember the things that you have talked with me about. And I ask you to help me, O Lord, that my words would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 18 through 20 tells us the story of a great king in Israel. Yes, Solomon was the wisest and perhaps the richest. David was the great warrior king that did so many great things and did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, was a man after God's own heart wrote Psalms, the sweet singer of Israel he is called. But another person wears that title of the greatest king. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 18. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi. We know from other scripture that her name was Abiah, A-B-I-J-A-H. Abiah literally means child of God. It literally means God is my father, Abiah. It's a unisex name. There are actually a king that was named Abiah or Abiah and also ruled after uh, Hezekiah. It's a very common name among Hebrew people. She was the daughter of all people of Zechariah, the great prophet. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places. What are high places? High places are those elevated uh, geographical places in Israel that Israelites went to them and built altars on them and started sacrificing and praying sometimes to idol gods. And most of the time, they didn't want to make the trek all the way to Jerusalem to go to the temple, so they'd find a high place somewhere that was convenient and nearby, and they didn't have to put forth much effort to go worship. Now, there are a lot of people who have that same idea now, and that same spirit as a foot. Can we find the most convenient way to do this? The less trouble, better. And... I want you to know God is a God that, like that song says, He loves to be in, uh, us to be in His presence. He loves for us to gather, and He loves to come into our midst. In fact, He said, if there's just two or three of you, I'll be there. Amen. It may not be of such importance that you gather a big number, but He said, even two or three, that's important enough to me that I'll come and I'll be in that, uh, in that meeting and meet with you there. He removed those high places. Any uh, effort at convenience uh, other than coming to God's house and doing what God 
word says, he said he broke them down. He broke down the images, the icons, those uh, uh, signets and those little uh, jewelry uh, relics that people would oftentimes worship, uh, much as people do uh, crosses in certain religions. He removed the high place, broke down the images, and he cut down the groves. The groves were what were called Asherah poles, where there was all kinds of idolatrous worship that was offered to a fertility goddess. And, uh, of course, that is an abomination to God. And this king, Hezekiah, came in and cut down all those poles and said, we're not going to have worship to idols here. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do it in the right way. And so he cut those uh, Asherah uh, poles down. And then the Bible said, then he broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Now, you remember my snake sermon, don't you? Hey, I need to get that one out. You're looking like you don't remember that one. Uh, several years ago, I, I made a, a serpent and put it on a pole and lifted it up because that's exactly what Moses did in Numbers 20 when the people, they talked against their pastor, Moses, and they'd, they'd done insubordinate uh, things to speak against him and said, oh, I wish we could have stayed in Egypt. I, I wish you'd never brought us out here in this uh, wilderness like this. And the Bible said that God sent fiery serpents among them. And they bit the people, and many of the Israelites died. And they went to Moses and said, would you intercede for us? Would you talk to God for us? And Moses went to God, and God said, make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and lift it up and tell the people if they will look upon that serpent of brass and believe that they can be healed of the poison of the bites of the serpents. And so Moses did exactly that. And it was a wonderful time of deliverance. And God saved them and God delivered them. But the people, the Bible said the Israelites took that thing that God used and began worshiping it. And this is 700 years later after the incident in the wilderness. 700 years later, they've still got the snake. 700 years later, they're still carrying it around with them and put it in the temple, and the Bible said, and they began to worship it. You know, if we're not careful, even as Pentecostal people, we'll take some tradition, some notion, and we'll deify it to the point that we almost worship it. But just because God used it one time, that don't mean that it for all of time is sacred and you should worship something like that. God used a lot of things and God used a lot of people, but he doesn't expect us to worship them. The Bible said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And he actually even said, thou shalt have no other gods. Somebody say no other gods. No other gods before me. God is very specific about that. And when people rebelled against God in the Old Testament, the Bible said they were quick to pick them up an idol and start worshiping an idol. And such was the case here in Israel at the time. Now, this young king, 25 years old, was not the son of godly parents. His father was the king. His name was Ahaz. And his name literally means to possess. Wow. He was such an evil king. He did away with the worship of God. The temple stood in ruins. There was all kind of garbage and garbage and rubbish and filth in the house of God. The Levites, the priests, did not do uh, their, their duty. There were no, no prophets that were 
functioning in the prophetic utterance. It was just a dead place. It was a place of irreverence. It was a place of disrespect. It was a place of rebellion against God. And the Bible said that's the kind of kingdom that this young king took over. He had a terrible despotic parrot, a king who had done everything he could despite the Spirit of God and the grace of God. And this young man had no reason to be otherwise other than God had touched his life and he was different. He was different. You know, don't ever expect the world to get excited about salvation. The Bible says the world loves its own. And the Bible says that the world uh, has its own kind of worship. It worships its own uh, deities. But the Bible says Christian people, they worship God. At Him only they serve. Amen. I thought it interesting this week that we've got a, a judge nominated for the Supreme Court and the biggest objection to her is she's a Christian. The greatest objection to her is she believes in God. In fact, she's a member, I understand, of a charismatic Catholic fellowship called People of Praise. She teaches the Bible. And the way that her opposition is going to battle her is God's Word says, let every man be a liar and let God be truth. God's Word says, obey the laws of man as long as they don't interfere with God's laws. So her opposers feel like that she would be true to the Bible rather than the Constitution. Therefore, we're against Christian people that believe the Bible above anything else. Well, you know, the Bible said in the last days, one of the signs you're in the last days is people would be despisers of those that are good. Sometimes good people take a bad rap. Sometimes things that are untrue and slanderous and cynical and stoic are said about very good people. Amen. Hey, you're a, you're, a, you're a very foolish person if you believe all you hear and all you read. Amen. The best reading material I know that there's a guaranteed truth about is this book that's before me on this platform today. Jesus said, Thy word, it is truth and it is life. Jesus is so committed to this word. And so this young king, you'll find sometimes in the worst of circumstances a, 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 a prince of a spiritual person. Sometimes you'll find in the most unlikely places somebody that becomes the greatest good for God. John Jernigan, one of the former general overseers of the church, wrote a book, From the Gambling Den to the Pulpit. Wow. Brother Jernigan, Brother Ellis, all those great, God brought them out of, out of places where they made a big difference. Wade Horton, one of the greatest uh, preachers of righteousness and holiness that I ever listened to, he said to my one of my relatives, I guess my uncle's pastoring a church in, in Tennessee, he said, do all you can to get people saved in that little town. I came closest to getting killed when I was there than any other place. He was a gambler and a reprobate and a lost person. But when he come by a little church building one night where a white-haired 
person was preaching the word of God, the Bible said, Bible said, he said that he went in and got in the altar and became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You believe God can use former addicts and alcoholics and reprobates and all kind of people? You believe God can use those kind of folks? I believe that he can. No matter where you come from and no matter what you've been or what your name is or what your heritage is, God can make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. So here this guy was, not from a likely place, but he comes to be the king of Judah because he inherited it from his father. But he decided that we're not going to continue in this idolatry. We're not going to continue in this rebellious nature against God. We're going to have a revival. And there's no way you can preach about revival without preaching about Hezekiah. Because Hezekiah had a great revival in Judah. Now, remember that the kingdoms are separated. It's 722 B.C. There's a Syrian king whose name is Shalemesar. And Shalemesar was a, a very warlike person. Most Syrians are. In fact, the uh, people of Israel were always warned to guard from the north because Syria is just north of Israel. That if they're ever invaded, it will come from Syria. And Syria had already conquered Samaria. They'd already come. A, a king, in fact, killed Shalemesar. His name was Sargon in, 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 in Assyria. And he invaded Samaria and took 200,000 people captive and carried them away from Samaria and took them to Syria and made slaves out of them. In fact, the war machine was traveling so that all the little countries in that region were everyone being destroyed and carted away like rubbish and carried to Assyria and made to work for the Assyrians. There was only one little holdout. All of the other cities and all the other nations had already been conquered and carted away. And there's one left, and we call them a remnant. The remnant. In other words, there's still some people that haven't been conquered yet. And they're in the minority. They're in the vast minority. And this warlike general Sargon had a son whose name was Sennacherib. And Sennacherib was a great general. And he let all of the people know our next intention is to go and finish the work that we did in Judah. Now, I want to tell you when the house of God, listen to what he did. He told the priest, he said, you go down to the house of God and those doors that are laying there that are broken up, those doors that are, uh, have been ruined and have been destroyed, I want you to repair those doors and put those doors back up on the house of God. Why is it so important we put the doors up? Because it's going to become an inviting place. It's going to be a place where we're going to invite people to come, Hezekiah said. And the, the Bible said, so the workers went and they started working. And he said, and you priests, you get over there and get your brooms and get your shovels and get everything and get that filth out of the house of God. Clean the place up. Come on, somebody. Sounds like he's got some intention. Sounds like he's got a purpose. Sounds like he's got a plan. And he tells all the people, he says, we're going back to God's house. We're going back to the house of God. We're going to start worshiping again. We're going to get back to worshiping. And good things happened when they started worshiping. When they started worshiping, the Bible tells us that 
they started singing songs and they started worshiping at God's house. Worshiping at God's house. And when they began singing songs, and the Bible said, and all the people praised and all the people worshiped. They were so happy to get worship back. Amen. And they were so happy that the house of God was functioning and the word of God was being read. And the Bible said, and the people sang and rejoiced and prospered and was blessed. And so Hezekiah got the idea, well, why don't we invite some people to come? It's good that we're having a good service. It's good that church is good. Help me preach, boys. It's good that we're having a good service. It's good that we're uh, having good things happen. People are singing and people are starting to worship and we've had revival and all things are going good. Why don't we call the Sumerians and tell them, come on over back to the temple. Worship has been restored. God is moving. Lives are being changed. People are being blessed. Come and be with us in worship. Mm. Kind of like those ten lepers, wasn't it? When they found a blessing, they felt like they needed to tell somebody, come on down here and share in the blessing. Amen. You know, that's, that's the way Pentecostals are. Pentecostals enjoy their salvation. Pentecostals rejoice and celebrate their salvation. Pentecostals spiritually exuberantly, enthusiastically, and zealously worship and praise. Amen. In fact, they're very much alive. Very much alive. They're very responsive. They're spontaneous. They worship God when, when God's Spirit moves. They lift up holy hands. They laugh. They, they, they cry. They worship. They're demonstrative. You can see that something's going on in their life because the outward expression is of an inward manifestation. When God does something on the inside, there's an outward response to that. Some folks lift a hand. Some folks holler, amen. Some folks holler, hallelujah. Some folks start crying. Some folks kneel down on their knees. But all of that is an outward expression of an inward manifestation. And Pentecostals are just like that. They're just like that. That's the way they are. And to them, to be any other way would be what they would call dead. Do you know what Jesus said to a dead church that had a reputation that it was alive? He said, thou hast a reputation that you were alive. But he said, but you're really dead. Why did he say that church was dead? Because he said, you've got a form. You've got a, a structure. You've you got the, the house. You don't have the power. You don't have the anointing. You don't have the moving of the Holy Ghost. And he said, because you're dead, but say you're alive, he said, I'm going to come and get the candlestick, and I'm going to remove it out of its place and put it somewhere else because you don't need to be called a church if you're dead. You don't need to be called a church if you're dead. You don't need to be saying, I'm God's, if you don't know God. You don't know, need to be seeing the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin if you're not saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. Praise God. So this church was a, a lively church. It was a church that was rejoicing and praising the Lord. What does Judah mean? Did somebody say praise? Judah means praise. So praise was in such bad shape that it had to be fixed. 
their praise had gone to non-existent because the leader failed to follow through and lead the people in worship. Praise God. But when the leader changed and a man that wanted to do right and preach right and live right and worship right came in, praise God, things picked up. And God started blessing. And they sent words over and telling people, come on over and share in the blessings of God because good things are visiting. And God is visiting his people once again. I'm saying that in this pandemic siege that we're in, shut up. If you'll read right here, it says that Sennacherib came and shut up the city of Jerusalem. That he came and caused God's people to be so fearful of him and his attacking army that the Bible said they were cowered behind closed doors and were fearful. And that seems to be the attitude across Christendom to today. It seems that we're so afraid, so afraid. How odd it would be to hear somebody say at this time, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. How odd would it be right now for someone to stand up and declare that God is the Lord of every disease, that God has power over every illness, how odd would it be for someone to stand in a pulpit and preach today that if the people of God will trust the Lord and will pray and repent from their evil ways that God would touch them and forgive their sin and heal their land. Where's that message at? Where, where, why are we not hearing those messages? When the people of Samaria heard the invitation, you know what happened? The Bible said, and they laughed Hezekiah to scorn. Don't ever expect the world to get excited about what God is doing. The world will always laugh and mock and sneer and make snide remarks about God and God's people. One real good indication is if the world loves you, you might ought to take take some inventory because Jesus said I didn't come to bring peace on this earth he said I'm, I'm come to set a person at variance against even his relatives what does that mean that means that lordship of Jesus means more to God's people than anything else lordship of Jesus lord in your life lord in your family lord in your marriage lord in your business if he's not Lord of everything, we often say that he's not Lord at all. The world doesn't like for you to make Jesus Lord of your life. The world and those that are in it would like to control your life. And they resent the fact that your life is submitted to God. And they resent the fact that you serve a higher power. The world is diametrically opposed to all that God is and all that God does. And if you're expecting the world to applaud the church, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You see, when that word got up there, the singers got to singing and the preachers got to preaching and the trumpeters sounded and all this continued 
while the people were offering up to God. That's in 2 Chronicles 29 and 27. Put that up there for them so I want, I want them to see that. Because worship came when they cleaned up and cleaned out and began to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm submitting to you that Pentecostal churches especially need to do some of what we're reading and what we're preaching right here today. Because it, it seems as if we're looking for some way that will work and we're looking for some advisor to come in and tell us how to do church. Denominationally, we're hunting somebody to give us some formula, some way. Well, hey, Pentecostals have got a formula. What is that formula? It's in Acts chapter 2. I said it's in Acts chapter 2. Y'all know what happened in Acts chapter 2? And on the day of Pentecost, they were in one mind and in one accord, in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God, Pentecostals don't need a, a formula. We've got God's Word. We've got God's Word. The Bible said daily from house to house and from heart to heart, they preached the Word. The Bible said when the disciples were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the Word. Acts 4 and 4, the Word multiplied. The number of disciples uh, were multiplied. Acts 6 and 6, and the Word of God grew mightily and prevailed, and the number of disciples increased. You don't need a formula. Just go to God's Word. What the Pentecostal churches need is a old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, God-sent revival, a move of the Holy Ghost that will touch the church and revitalize the church. When great things started happening, when worship started happening, the trumpeters sound and they, they sang and they worshiped. They that have shut up the doors of the church and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and upon Jerusalem and hath delivered them into trouble to astonishment and to hissing as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are our captivity for this. Now it is in my heart, Hezekiah said, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that is Fierce anger may be turned away from us. Praise God. In many ways, the church needs to repent. In many ways, the church needs to fall on its face and say, God, I'm sorry. Brother, when that powerful worship began, the house of the Lord, the Bible says, so the service of the house of the Lord was set in order, and Hezekiah rejoiced, and all of the people. If you want to see God do it again, the old song we used to sing, He'll do it again. He will do it again. He will do it again when His people praise. He will do it again when His people say, God, we're sorry for our sin. We're sorry for our lethargy. We're sorry for our indifference. We're sorry for our deadness. We're sorry for our lack of power. 
Hezekiah sends that letter to the good people of Samaria, and they laughed him to scorn. Laughed him. Now listen to what's left in Samaria. We've already carted away all the, the well people, all the, all the affluent people, all the educated people. What we've got left in Samaria is what? A bunch of people that aren't healthy, a lot of people that are older, a lot of people that aren't physically able to work and serve them, a lot of people that have diseases, a lot of people that are sick, a lot of people that are malnourished. They didn't take them away. So who was he sending the good message of salvation to? Sick, palsied people. Come to Jerusalem. Come to the temple. Come to the house of God. We're worshiping again. We're praising again. We've got a move of God going on. So all of you people that need a touch of God, come and rejoice with us. Is that evangelism or is that evangelism? In this lesson, somebody up there in Ephraim that heard the news of a revival in Jerusalem, in Samaria where Sargon had destroyed them and took away, they, they came and for the first time in generations, they observed the Passover. First time in generations, they observed the Passover. What is Passover? Not a person in this house knows what Passover is. Well, let's turn in another place in the Bible and let's preach about Passover. Because you sure need to know what Passover is. You know what Passover is? In the night in Egypt when the eldest son died of all the people, God said to his people, take a lamb, take the blood, and smear it on your doorpost. And when the death angel comes through Egypt, when he sees the blood, he will pass over you. Somebody ought to got in the aisle and shouted hallelujah because thank God when he sees the blood, he will pass over you. What a thing to celebrate. You celebrate the deliverance of God. You celebrate the keeping power of God. You celebrate the commitment that God has to his people. You celebrate the covenant. You celebrate the, the goodness and the heart of God that is concerned for his people. That's what they were celebrating. And once again, they hadn't done it in years, and suddenly they started celebrating the goodness of God and celebrating the keeping power of God. And man, great things started happening. And people started getting blessed, and the Bible said they began to prosper. Thus did Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles 31 and 21. Thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and he wrought that which was good and that which was truth before the Lord. And every work that he began in the service of the house of the Lord and in the law and in the commandments to seek the Lord, he did it with all of his heart, and God prospered him. Do you believe God will prosper a person that will serve the Lord with all of his heart? Do you believe God will bless a person that puts his whole heart into it? I wonder what would happen some Sunday morning if we came in this room and with all of our heart we worshiped the Lord and sought his face. I wonder what would happen in the day. Oh, I know. I said, I know. He said, in that day that you seek me, with all of your heart, you'll find me. 
Oh, if you want to find God, harvest. If you want to feel God, if you want to experience God, quit talking about what happened 40 years ago and come in God's house with your whole heart and say, God, today I'm going to sing with all my heart. Today, God, I'm going to pray with all my heart. Today, God, I'm going to get in the Word with all of my heart. Today, God, I'm going to worship you with all of my heart. I will cast every other thought out of my mind but you. I'll disregard everything I've got to do except what I'm doing in God's house. Right now, the principal and foremost thing for me is to seek you with all my heart. And God said when you do that, you'll find God. You'll experience God. You'll encounter God. No wonder they say there was never a king like Hezekiah. Everything he did, he did it with his whole soul and his whole heart. He poured everything into it. Now that's the kind of man and that's the kind of people that we're looking to God and we're trusting God for. So we've got the scene. Judah was experiencing what we in the church call good times. Hezekiah was popular, well-received. People were coming. Worship was at an all-time high. Treasury was in good shape. People were cooperative and had a good attitude. The building was repaired. That's usually when you can look out for an attack. The one thing I have learned about serving God all these years is usually when you're on a high. Usually when times are good. Usually when souls are getting saved. Usually when miracles are taking place and great, wonderful, supernatural things are happening and people are excited and God's doing Watch out. I said, watch out. Why is that, Pastor? Because usually the attack of the enemy is, is coming because he doesn't like it when you're taking his ground. He doesn't like it when you're freeing people that he had captive. He doesn't like it when God's people are getting blessed when he would rather they would be in poverty. He doesn't like it when folks are getting delivered from bondage when he'd rather keep them prisoner. He doesn't like it. And when that starts happening, look out because he's going to attack. How many of you in your personal lives have gone along and things were looking good and things were, were, were well, children were all well and car was running good and the house payment was made? And you're just getting by, and it was happy, and things going good. Next thing you know, you turn around, car quits. Going to take $1,500 to fix it. You ain't got $1,500. One of the kids says they're sick. You take them to the doctor. Doctor bills, medicine bills. Suddenly things start piling in. Here you go. Get down to pray, and it seems like heaven is brassed over. Have you ever tried to pray when heaven was brassed over? I said, have you ever tried to pray when the words wouldn't come? Have you ever tried to pray when it seemed like there was no unction and no anointing and no, no liberty and no deliverance there, and you would just seem like words bouncing right back in your face? Come on, somebody. You ought to try to pastor a church like that. (laughs) 
people do? Where do you go? What do you say? When those times come, where do I go? When there's no one else to turn to. Who do I run to? When no foundation is stable. Who do I lean on? In the time of all my frustration, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation. I turn to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. When the earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ that solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to that rock. I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation. That rock that has never moved. That rock that is always stable. Brother, I have shook many times on that rock, but that rock has never shook under me. I had an old brother in a church, he'd testify and he'd say, Oh, Satan has wallowed me all over that rock, but he's never got me off of that rock. Brother, if you'll go to the rock of salvation, if you'll cling to that rock, when times get hard and things turn bad and you're stressed out of your mind and when you're at your wit's end and you don't know what to do, just go to the rock. Just go to that rock. That cry out. That cry out. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib came back to take Judah. He first attacked the fortified cities. He shut up the king. He shut up the people in the fortifications. Then he sent his representative to announce his intentions. In other words, Satan sent his preacher. Has that Satan ever sent you a spokesman? You're done for. You're finished. God is not going to help you. You're foolish to believe God. You're crazy to believe the Bible. You're stupid. You're ignorant. You're going to get destroyed. You're going to go under. You're not going to make it. You're going to be, be annihilated. Satan sent his preachers. Preachers in this case was Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh was a general. 
he got up on the wall and started telling him, hey, don't believe Hezekiah. Hezekiah's telling you God will help you, but he won't help you. Hezekiah's telling you that God will come to your aid. He'll come to your rescue. But hey, God's not going to deliver you. Hey, we've, we've defeated all these other kingdoms and nations around here. What makes you think that we won't defeat you? We're going to cart you away just like we did the Samaritans. Hey, have you ever had anybody bury you? Tell you it ain't going to happen? Ever had anybody to bury you and pronounce you dead and done? He'll die just like he lives. He's an old sorry, good for nothing. They don't, there's no hope in him. Don't waste your time with him. He's, he's no good. It's not going to happen. Don't you let Satan's preachers come and tell you gloom, despair, and defeated negativism and pessimism. There is nothing God cannot do. There is no need that he can't supply. There is no soul that he can't save. There's no life that he can't rescue. There's no purpose and plan that he can't carry through. God is committed to us. We are his covenant people. And God is committed to his covenant. And he tells us that no weapon that's fashioned against you will prosper. God says, God says no evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. God says call upon me and I'll deliver you. Don't let the devil's preachers negate what God's word says and what God is doing. Rabshakeh climbed up there and he then sent a letter. He was an eloquent speaker. You know, some people are gifted at ridicule. I said some are gifted at ridicule. They can use sarcasm in the meanest way possible and make you feel like you're the least and you're the worst. They asked him, they said, they were so embarrassed. They said, please don't speak to us anymore in Jewish language. Please speak Assyrian. We understand Assyrian, but if you keep talking in the Hebrew language, all these people's going to hear you. What? Please don't speak Hebrew. Please preach to us in Assyrian. So nobody around here will hear that. My blessed Lord, Rabshakeh, the principal speaker for the devil's crowd, said, hey, I want them to hear me. What do you think I'm talking for? I want them to hear me. He made fun of the Lord God of Israel. He mocked Hezekiah. He mocked all that God does and all that God is. But now just turn that page to chapter 19 and you'll find out something else. What he was saying, I'm going to take away and I'm going to destroy and I'm going to kill. I'm going to burn down your beautiful worship in your temple. All of you that name the name of God, you're going to become a prisoner. Hezekiah received that letter from the messengers and he read it. And the Bible said in 2 Kings 19, And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord. What did he do, Pastor? He went to the rock. He went to the house of the Lord. He found the altar. And he walked down to the altar. And he took the letter that Rabshakeh had sent him. And he spread it out on the altar before the Lord. What does it say, Hezekiah? 
Lord, it says you're a little God. It says that Sennacherib doesn't know you. And Sennacherib says that all the other gods of the Ahamath and the gods of Arpad and Sherebazim, those gods weren't able to do anything. How do you think your God is going to do anything? I don't know your God. Your God's going to go down like all the rest of them. I'll defeat, I've defeated all of them. I'll defeat your God. I'll destroy your God. Now look at verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, the prophet of the Lord. Every time you see a, a devil's prophet around, you'll find a prophet of the Lord around. Isaiah, the prophet, the preacher prophet, God's messenger, he came to Hezekiah and he says, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. In other words, God says, I got an answer to that. I see your letter. I hear all that mess that you call a letter, all that sarcasm, all that smear campaign. I see all of that. I see all of that. But then Isaiah said, hear God's response. Wow. God said, I've got an angel. And I'm going to send an angel. Now, that's very important that God's going to send an angel because Sennacherib had said in the letter that he would defeat 10,000 of the angels of God. 10,000 angels. He said, I've got an army of 185,000 camped outside your wall right now. They're awaiting my command to come in and destroy all of you, take you away captive and be a slave, and we're going to burn, we're going to torch Jerusalem. I'll fight 10,000 of your angels, he said. God said, my response is, it won't be 10,000. I'll just send one. Just one. And the Bible said that that angel took the divine scimitar. That's a sword. And with that one scimitar, he cut down 185,000. And when morning came and the sun rose and Sennacherib got up, he walked out and found 185,000 dead. What did he do, Pastor? He ran. He took tail and cut out. All the way back to Syria, he ran. Wow. Isaiah 37, 31, I want you to put it up there for me. And the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall again, somebody say again, again take root downward and bear fruit upward. What was he saying? He said that little handful that wouldn't be defeated, that little handful that refused to give in, 
That little handful that refused to play the devil's game. That little handful that said they would rather take the way with the Lord's despised few. That little handful that said, we will believe the report of the Lord. That little handful that said, none of these things move me. That little handful called the remnant said, they shall go out. They shall go out again. They will go out and they will put down roots and they will push out fruit. Roots downward, fruit upward. You mean roots are connected to fruit? Boy, they really are. That's a tremendous thing. John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Do you know why a lot of people's lives don't glorify God? They don't have any fruit. You know why people sit without a praise? sit without a, a song. They sit without participating in worship. It's because they don't have any fruit. And you know why they don't have any fruit? Bad roots. Bad roots. See, if you got bad roots, you won't have any good fruit. Proverbs 12 and 12, the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. The root yieldeth fruit. Jeremiah 12, 2, thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root, they grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Hosea 9 and 1, Ephraim is smitten, their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit. Romans eleven sixteen. if the root be holy, so are the branches. Matthew 13, 6, because they had no root, they withered away. If a Christian is not a fruit-bearing Christian, it's because his root is bad. I believe that a root is bad before the fruit ever shows up. If someone has no root or bad roots, it will only be a matter of time before they produce bad fruit. Wow. If your heart is bad, it will eventually be known. If your thoughts are bad, they will eventually manifest themselves. If your desires are corrupt, that will be seen. Take root, the Bible says, and bear fruit. Who, who do I put my roots in? I, I believe in putting my root. You've convinced me that in order to have fruit, i got to put out my root. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Be sure and put it up there for me. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and then I'll be finished. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Anybody in this house received Christ Jesus the Lord? As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Rooted and built up in Jesus. Where are your roots? What's the condition of your roots? Are your roots healthy? Or are your roots diseased? Are your roots strong? 
And do they reach deep or are they just on the surface? What about your root system? That's what's going to determine the quality of your fruit. The Bible said that in the end they have their fruit unto holiness and in the end everlasting life. Jesus wants you to have fruit. Jesus wants your life to be a fruitful life. Jesus wants something to happen in your life that will produce fruit. Stand with me, please. How many of you could say with me, Pastor, I want my life to be fruitful. I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to produce something that someone else can be blessed by. I want fruit. I want joy in my life. I want peace in my life. I want love in my life. I want goodness in my life. I want good relationships in my life. I want a marriage that's strong. I want a house and a home and a family where there's love and there's peace and there's joy. I want to have relatives and friends that I'm a blessing to their life. I want to compliment the life of people that I know. I want my life to have influence. I want to be a light. Remember that old song we used to sing so many years ago, Let My Life Be a Light, shining out through the night. May I help struggling ones to the fold, spreading cheer everywhere to the sad and the lone. Let my life be a light to some soul. Let my life be a light to some soul. Your life can never be the light the Lord Jesus wants it to be until your root sinks deep in the Word of God and deep in the person of the Lord Jesus. When that root is anchored so securely in the life of Jesus, then good fruit will grow on your branches. Stretch your hand this way. I want to pray with you before you go. God, I thank you this morning for attentive ears and attentive hearts. We've rejoiced and we've shouted, we've praised you because we know, O oh Lord, in whom we have believed. This world will never worship you. This world will never receive you. They spurned you years ago and rejected you and turned you away. But Lord, we're that remnant, that remnant that wants to put down root and push up fruit. We're that remnant that on the day of Pentecost went out of that room as the early church and became the people of God. We're that remnant, God, that you anointed to preach the gospel to all nations. We're that remnant that you gave the great commission to go and preach the word to every person that needed to hear. We're that remnant, O oh God, that sought you and would not depart until we were endued with power from on high. We're that remnant, God, that you want to be light and salt in this world. And may the remnant, God, today awake, 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 and rise and shine for our light has come. And the glory of the Lord has arisen upon us. God, touch us as we go from this place this morning. And God, help us this next week to everyone that is sad and everyone that is fearful. Help us to give them peace and help us to give them trust, knowing that God is in charge of it all. We love you and we praise you. 30 seconds of praise. Can we do it right before we go? 30 seconds of the best you got.
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you this morning and we praise you. God go with you and God give you peace. God bless you and make his face to shine upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'll see you next time.